I know I'm going. Good evening. Welcome to our uh, welcome to our summer sessions. Uh, <laughs> summer sessions that are in May. We're not. Uh, we're actually still doing our spring sessions. We call that spring sessions. So um, and and in through the rest of uh, at least our spring sessions, we'll um, be in this next section that we're just getting ready to start tonight. So we're on a brand new subsection uh, that closes out basically closes out Ephesians 6 but we'll probably be on it for just a little bit um, there are a lot of things here that uh, are really worth looking at you know I've never fought in a battle I've never been in an army never, never worn a uniform in, uh, as far as the army is concerned but I want to tell you I fight daily in a war of wars it's the biggest war you all are in that same war and a Christian really who says he has no conflict uh, has retreated from the front line <laughs> because he does have conflict constantly. A Christian who long, no longer has to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a Christian who has fallen either into sin or total complacency. <laughs> I say that that's coming from uh, Lloyd-Jones there. Um, we are in a cosmic struggle and uh, that is going to be seen in the... Uh, the area where we're going to be at. The fight of faith is difficult. It's strenuous. Uh, we live in such a time that uh, we're in in the day uh, that we live. Uh, we have struggles that are immense. We're called to a battle. We're called by uh, God to do that. And uh, we know that it's not a life of ease. It's a battle that's strenuous. Uh, it's a struggle. It's a constant battle. So the Christian continually needs to be, I think, reminded or warned what uh, he's involved in because he can forget sometimes that he is in battle. Um, as far as the uh, enemy is concerned, it's good to know a little bit about his character and his strategy and to know that you are fighting against him. And when you really think about it, it can be immense. matter of fact, it can be overwhelming when you think how great the enemy is that we fight who can stand against this hordes of evil that we're against? Well, the New Testament, I believe, is very alarming. I think it could be terrifying to people, but we see that the truth is is that we are more than conquerors because of Christ. But yet, uh, it still doesn't take that battle away. We are confronted constantly with the enemy. Uh, so we want to be alert. There are no holidays. <laughs> In the spiritual realm, we might have holidays as far as our work is concerned. Some people have to work on those days. <laughs> Just kidding. I noticed I was talking to people who who have holidays and they work at home, though, too, or find things to do. And sometimes you work harder at home than you do uh, anywhere else. <laughs> but um, there's no time off. Whether we um, forget that or not, the enemy never takes a holiday. Always, Always against us. Uh, we're in the spiritual realm. So to live the Christian life is to live in a spiritual realm, to know that's a spiritual battle. And I think sometimes we could be preoccupied with spiritual warfare uh, and just think of that and nothing else. And and the devil is behind every rock. Every little thing that's gone wrong, it's the devil's fault. Or we can go to the other extreme and and say that really the devil doesn't exist or... Uh, I'm too little to mess with. He will never mess with me and uh, and his uh, cohorts. But uh, we have this warfare going on. 
And I'd like to point out whether you are at the beginning of your Christian experience or at the end of it or somewhere in the middle, um, we're in the same battle. We're fighting the same war. If you think it'll get easier, you're wrong. (laughs) It's not going to get easier. Matter of fact, Jesus had a conflict at the outset of his ministry um, where he was tempted by Satan out in the wilderness. And that was a tough struggle. But you go all the way down to the very end of his ministry where he was in the garden and he was sweating drops of blood. The battle continues on. And so it it can intensify at times and the efforts can be harder against us. Um, So, now, does anybody want to stay for the rest of the study? (laughs) We need to have prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your truth, for who You are. And that is the reason we gather together, for no other reason, to know who You are and what You have for us. You've given us a great book to study from, to learn who You are. And uh, Lord, may it never be just a mental, intellectual exercise, but that would be something that would go deep into our hearts and that we would desire to live uh, this out even more so than ever. Uh, We struggle against sin. We struggle uh, sin in our flesh, Lord, uh, constantly. And we know we always have to look to You. We thank You for the forgiveness and grace that You've given us. We know that the world is always tugging at us trying to pull us its way and also we know the enemy the devil and uh, the demons also um, really want to cause havoc with us we thank you that we know what the truth is is that we are in it and we know that we have victory uh, but it's something that we must go through and uh, it is your plan for us to do that and it will make us strong in you in Jesus name Amen well, the first uh, first verse that we'll start on this section is verse 10. And he starts off with a word, and we'll read this. We'll read 10 through 13. We're not even really going to get much further than the first word because it's an introduction here tonight, basically, to um, the warfare that we're in. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. There's more to that, much more, but we'll stop right there. Um, the word finally has to ring a bell to where we have been and where we are going. Uh, it's not that uh, the last part is the least. But we have been taken to great heights in the book of Ephesians. Tremendous heights into the heavenly realms to see the heavenly plan that God has had and putting us into the body of Christ, uh, being the bride of Christ. It's an incredible thing that God is building and we are put on display to show the very wisdom of God. And uh, when we think of that, it's just uh, 
almost too awesome to to swallow all of that. But um, when we when we take a look at the word finally, we see that it's progressing to one area where we haven't touched yet. Uh, we have touched on the battle against the the flesh and the battle against the world. We've seen that throughout, especially in chapters 4 and 5. Um, and as we look at that, we see that we always need to be having a, uh, the knowledge of having being filled with the Word of God and with the Spirit and the knowledge of that we have been given grace by God and we have been experiencing the riches of His grace that we can know what He has for us. But a lot of great doctrines of who we are, what we are, and how we became what we are. It's all glory to God, isn't it? The book of Ephesians has just put God on display in, uh, in an amazing way. I think we get a picture of the glory of God in this uh, uh, epistle. We get a picture of the great exalted character of what the Christian life is about. We've seen the privileges. Paul prayed that we would understand what those riches, what the calling is. And he prayed in chapter 1, prayed in chapter 2, or uh, uh, chapter 3. And we see that we've been made into a temple, that we are the bride of Christ. He gave us illustrations. And um, the, the privileges are just um, something that it's hard to, hard to grasp. And then he says in chapter 4 that we're to live worthy of the call. Here's what has happened to you all by the grace of God as He has adopted you, He predestined you, put you into this, this family of God. And uh, here we are, this great position. And then he says, now, here's how you live it. And in chapter 4, he says, you don't live anymore like the Gentiles in the darkness that they're in, but now you're in the light. You're in this King of light, and here is how you're able to live it out. Uh, we're to live worthy of this high calling, uh, and we must be filled with the Spirit. We see in chapter 5 of how we relate to people, uh, relating in the church, relating at work, at home. And um, so it's a fulfilled life that we have. He tells you how to do that. In six chapters, it's amazing how much is packed in a, in a small letter, really. If you compare this to some of the other books in the Bible, it's, it's not a long book, but it has so much in one area, this one letter, that it's, uh, it could be studied for years and still desire to know more of it. So we're to be filled with the Spirit so that we can submit at church, so that we can submit at, uh, at home, so we can submit at work. That's what we've covered. And uh, so now he says, okay, now, finally, because of this, because of what has happened and where you're at and what you're to do, um, he says, you have a call, and your call is to battle. You're in the battle. You're already there. Here it is. Here's the call. We need to know we're soldiers. You're already there. Your, your soldiers need to know that, that you're soldiers and uh, you're not going to be going to war. You are in war. As soon as you become a Christian, you are already in the war. So we're to be prepared for the battle. Paul is getting them ready. And, uh, of course, in Ephesus, uh, as uh, he writes to them, he knew that they already knew 
about spiritual warfare. They knew about it. He didn't have to convince them. He didn't have to build an argument. You've seen Paul where so often he builds up an argument and he just keeps building up and gives you more and more evidence and he draws from the Old Testament, gives you more Scripture and uh, you know he makes sure that it's rock solid in everything that he gives. Well, here he doesn't spend a lot of time convincing you about it. He just shows you here's what it is. And uh, they already know it. They know that they're in this. And when you when you have to think about fighting against the enemy as far as um, uh, the spiritual warfare, as far as Satan is concerned, the flesh ultimately is the beachhead for the world to come in and even Satan to um, put his war on us. And if we give in, it's uh, ultimately because of the flesh because um, we battle with the flesh constantly. And it's the, it's the hardest enemy. So we have the enemy within us, the flesh, flesh against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. They hate each other, Galatians chapter 5. We also have the enemy around us. That would be the world. All the things that it has to offer. Constantly beating at the door. So we have conflict with that. So we've seen the first two already. We've, we've seen that. Um, matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, after he gave us a great expose of where we have been put into the body of Christ and predestined and such. In chapter 2, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He gives a little introduction to our battle with uh, the enemy right there. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Do you see the three enemies there? Just in those three verses. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we're made alive. We're made alive to fight, for one thing. Uh, So Paul doesn't argue here. They already believed. Look at Acts 19. And we'll see why they would have already believed that they're in some kind of spiritual warfare. Acts 19 is where Paul is at Ephesus. And uh, there we have people coming to Christ. Paul has been giving the gospel. God has been blessing in a huge way. And then in verse 11, we see something uh, a little different here. God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now you remember, Paul is an apostle. God worked uh, through uh, the apostles who did miracles and signs and wonders, 2 Corinthians 12.12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Well, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus, they wanted to do this too, over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Kind of a beat them up, stripped from their clothes, 
and uh, they're running out there just wounded and everything. This, this became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That's interesting. Uh, here, uh, evil spirits are being um, actually beaten in the sense, first of all, by um, Paul in that diseases are leaving and evil spirits are coming out of people. And some other people like these Jewish guys, they said, hey, look at all the tension that he's getting. We can do this too. And so they're so-called exorcists who can uh, get uh, the demons out of people. And so they tried to do it too and try to use it in the name of Jesus and that uh, he's the Jesus Paul preaches. These are Jewish guys that aren't necessarily Christians. And uh, then you have this Jewish chief priest who has seven sons, and they're doing it, and then we see what happens, that uh, the enemy is much more powerful than man. We don't have any right to ever try to take on <laughs> the demons in themselves. We, we come to the captain, and in the strength of his might and such, we uh, can have victory, but uh, we ourselves alone cannot, uh, cannot face them. Too overwhelming. So it seems like uh, the people at Ephesus knew all about that, as uh, as you see there. It became known to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. I guess so. You have demons coming out of people. Paul has been doing that, and then they heard about this, and the uh, the guys running out of there naked and wounded. That was how powerful the spirits were in that one man they'd overtaken. So the enemy is not only in us, there's the enemy around us, and then the spiritual realm is outside of us. The ones we, we can't even see. Can't, uh, can't see this going on, but we know it happens. And so, you know, you, you look around and you go, why, for instance, is the time that we live in, it, all the terrible, evil things that are happening, we think of the abortions and... You go on and on, all the different kinds of uh, enemies that this nation has, all those kind of things going on. We hear the news constantly. Then you even think of something that should be so innocent, like movies out of Hollywood. They like money, right? They're big into money, and they have these great big blockbusters. And some of them are okay. They're, they're fun, you know. But there are some movies that have been made that have been really huge blockbusters that have been really good. No cussing in them. No sexual scenes. Just done very well uh, with either truth behind it or something that would re resemble what truth is to be like. A lot of dialogue sometimes. People don't like to have to think when you have dialogue. Uh, has anybody ever seen... Um, um, well, let's say Chariots of Fire. Remember that one? The movie was done excellent. Won something like seven awards. Blockbuster. Did tremendous. Made a lot of money for people at that time, I've got a feeling. You say, well, why don't they make more movies like that? Then you've had movies like uh, also that are really good. Uh, you think of uh, The Lord of the Rings. Done well. A lot of Christian people really identify with that. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia. The C.S. Lewis uh, movies that have done more than just good. We're talking very, very good at the box office. Maybe in the top 20 of all time in some cases. And uh, 
uh, what, what was it? Uh, what's that other one? Sensitivity. Uh, what is it? I can't think of the name of it now. Sen- sensibility, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, Jane Austen. Incredible. Not a cuss word in it. Everything is wholesome. A really good family movie. And it did real well. You know, those are classics. And you wonder, why don't they make more like that? Because people go to them. They really like them. Even non-Christians like them. And you go, why don't they do that? Well, the movie makers sometimes like to do their own agendas and they're pushing something, you know. But ultimately, who are we battling here? Not flesh and blood. The the principalities, the powers, uh, Satan, the unseen powers control uh, the evil in the world. The the evil is the product of the enemies, the, the headquarters of evil. <laughs> I think that's the way the Phillips translation had that a uh, long time ago. That Bible is I don't even know if it's available anymore, but uh, called uh, the headquarters of evil a product of the enemy. So we really don't battle against mankind ultimately. They're influenced heavily by the unseen warfare that's going on. Even when when it would make sense for people to say, okay, you know, I don't like the wholesome movies so much, but you know what? They make a lot of money, so I'm going to make movies like that. They They do better financially, it seems, than all those other trash movies they make. And then there was a movie out they made fun of so much, um, uh, Blindside. Did anybody see that, the football movie? Oh, really neat movie. Done very well, wasn't it? Kept about as clean as as you'll see in any theaters today. And it was from uh, a Christian family. It was a true story. And there again, it did well. And uh, ranked very highly for the year. And there was uh, uh, some awards won for that. But when that movie first came out, everybody in Hollywood was making fun of it. They said, that will never go over. <laughs> One of the top movies of the year. I don't know if she came to Christ, but uh, she did pay attention to the Christian lady who she um, come to know very well, and she really appreciated who she was and what she was about. She said all these Christians who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Right. Turned off by Christianity, she saw her uh, for every day for quite some time, and saw her how she lived. And so I don't know what's going on there, Barb, but um, interesting. Immediately after that, I think uh, yeah, the the divorce came, and yeah. So anyway. there needs to be there need to be Christians everywhere, just planted everywhere. In in Hollywood, we need we need Christian filmmakers, and there are some. Um, the man who has done uh, like uh, facing the giants, uh, uh, flywheel, and those, and uh, you, you think of those, and you got to go. Well, there's some kind of an impact there. There need to be more. There need to be more Christians in politics. Just planted everywhere. Because the Lord doesn't take us out of this world. Jesus prayed that He would keep us in this world, but not of it. But that we can make the impact being the salt and the light. And so all of us have our little duty to do as we take on the enemy. 
uh, we're also bringing forth the truth, uh, the gospel. Man, we have the truth. Truth goes marching on in our battle. So the call to battle, uh, how about the Christian life? What's well, warfare? We struggle, we wrestle, we have to engage in war. One thing that Paul doesn't mention and uh, that is mentioned a lot today in uh, some of the Christian circles, but Paul never mentions it for whatever it's worth, that Paul never says that anything about territorial spirits here in that there are certain demons that come along and take on certain streets in certain homes in certain cities and you identify who they are and you find out what their names are and then you cast them out because of that. Paul doesn't say anything about that. Not saying that it doesn't happen, but we don't see that where Paul says it. Another thing is that there's no such thing that Paul mentions here about warfare prayer. Now there is that. There is prayer that's involved, no doubt. But we're talking about the kinds where, again, you identify who the demons are and you start praying against that particular demon that is hovering around Missouri Boulevard in Jefferson City um, to try to find out who his name is. And then there's prayer walking where groups of people will go and they'll walk over in a certain area and take an area, march over uh, that, and then overtake the demons by uh, doing that, by naming and claiming that area. I don't see... I've looked around in Scripture trying to look for that, and uh, I don't see that specifically where Paul mentions that. But anyway, um, as far as the battle is concerned, we have no choice. We're in it. Like it or not, can't take any time off, can't take a weekend off. Uh, We engage in this warfare. We have the manual. We have all the instructions. It's relentless. This war does not stop. It doesn't give up. Uh, Just when you think everything is just fine, it's a calm before the storm. Uh, There's no discharges in this. You see, it's like, how do you get out of this thing? You don't. You're just in it. You're there. Um, As long as we live in this life, we're going to have conflict. So don't be surprised. And so therefore, I think it goes against the grain of everything juicy is going to happen now because you are a Christian and you have your best life now. Well, you do, but not in the way that they're saying and that it's going to be all peaches and cream. Granted, we we do uh, enjoy our Christian life. Uh, we wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, we really don't want some of these things that happen. But we know that God's causing these things for good. So it's, it's good to know that. We have an atmosphere here that's a martial, a martial warfare, I guess. It's a trumpet call. We're, we're set on our feet. And we're told to be men. Women. <laughs> Stand up. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's what he says uh, in Ephesians. You know, he's, he's saying be soldiers, and then he says you know, he keeps saying stand, stand firm. Right. Stand firm. So finally, my brethren. Right. Um, what's the world's view of the enemy? They know all about the devil, don't they? What does the world know about it? Well, if you go back historically, go back to the times uh, when Scripture was being written and through the Old Testament times, especially Old Testament times, 
How did they look as far as God was concerned? Well, they had gods, basically. And the gods were the ones that they were to appease and if you make your gods happy, then they'll give you the rain when you need it and then the sunshine when you need it. But if you've been bad, then He's going to take that away from you or He's going to destroy you. Uh, and so therefore, everything kind of came from these gods, good and bad. And so you had a, a constant uh, battle just with, with the gods. And so you want to perform for them. And so the gods had the influence upon man and his life in this world and that's how they arrange their whole lives uh, they needed to be on the right side of gods of the gods the way they looked at it or they'd be destroyed or have a tough time in their life anyway that's one way of looking at it that's how they looked at where evil came from everything just came from God uh, uh, there's a of course there's always the dualism and that kind of thing then there were the ones that came along and said later, well, there are no gods. Uh, they became a little wiser. <laughs> uh, they were the fatalist. Everything was uh, in fatalism. There's no gods, but they'd speak in every uh, term in the way of being of fate. Fate just happened. That's just the way it is, and that's the way it's going to believe. So it, it was a belief in an unseen power but it wasn't a god. It wasn't a personal god or anything like that. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what it would be. Yeah, force. So they couldn't define. They could not define uh, what governed their circumstances or anything. It was just the way that it was going to work out. Everything worked outside of humans. Then there's another one. There are the people that don't believe in any spiritual realm whatsoever. There's nothing outside of us, and that's uh, modern science. There is no supernatural. Everything is contained in where we live in this world, and nobody outside us has control over us at all. And that's relatively new, uh, if you take it the last couple hundred years, especially, I think, in our lifetime. We've seen that in especially the, the atheist, and now what is known as the new atheists. Are the new atheists the new agers? Um, Well, the new atheists are the ones who get uh, very vocal about it. Usually, used to the atheist would be kind of quiet, or they they might argue with you, but they they didn't really make a big deal out. The new atheists are making a war on Christians. They're writing books and writing bestsellers, number one on the New York Times. And so some of those people you might have heard of in, the, in their writing. So they're very aggressive. Very aggressive. They believe in what they believe. I think it takes more faith to believe in no God than it does a, a true God. Some kind of faith they have. If there is no God, who are they arguing about? They don't want you to have one. See, that, they can't be an atheist and be aggressive about it. They have no argument. They really don't. But they don't like she said there is. They just want to argue about nothing. So where does that come from? Devil. Yeah. Ultimately, it's got. I mean, you know, it's prince of the power of the air and and, and such. Of course, it's it's it, it still comes back to self too because um, the flesh is going to let that in. What's the biblical view of the enemy? Aha! Now we finally get to truth. <laughs> the world has offered some of its answers. Um, belief in the devil, 
and his powers is absolutely essential for a Christian. For one to be a Christian and not to believe in a devil uh, or the, uh, the evil world that is in the spiritual realm is one who doesn't believe Scripture. Because you can't miss uh, that all the way through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You have the enemy on display in battle constantly. So you can't, can't miss it. Um, <coughs> you can't believe in the biblical doctrine of sin unless you believe in the devil. I remember um, a friend of mine who was at um, a church that I uh, went to and where we kind of grew up in, in the, at least our high school days, and his father pastored the church, a rather large church. And I remember whenever he came to town after he had gone to school and then he uh, took over a church in St. Louis, came to do um, kind of a homecoming at the church. I wasn't there, but I heard it on radio. And I couldn't believe my ears what he said. There is no such thing as Satan. We have no enemy. He is not personal. It's in your mind. That's really what it finally came down to. Kind of... uh, kind of shocked me because I knew him I grew up with him and I thought he was just everything but um, come to find out I don't think it was too far different from what his father had believed and I'd said under that pastor for quite some time but when you hear that coming from leaders in the church kind of knocks you down and even some of their materials had come out accidentally showing that there was no such thing as Satan uh, boy uh, that's that's just ignoring the whole Bible. And what do you do with this text here that we're in? He's not personal. It's not really real. It did. Shortly after that. Uh, you can't understand history in the Bible from all the way back to when civilization started to all the way up to the present time where we're at now. Uh, modern history, uh, what is happening, unless you understand what Paul teaches here. You can't really understand and know what history is about until you see what what is here. Um, we have to know something about the strength, the, the power of the enemy. Uh, we're not against humans, really. We're uh, against a great power, a struggle against these spiritual agents. They have no rules, no scruples, I'm not going to go by any kind of set way of doing things. So it'll go against everything that you believe, because that's what evil is. Um, when we think of the enemy, think of some some names: the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, Belial, the evil one, the wicked one, the strong man armed the anointed cherub, the ruler of demons, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, the god of this world, the prince of this world. Hmm. What kind of power does he have? Quite the authority. If he rules this world, he usurped man's authority and took the authority that man had 
and uh, he holds that over us. Only thing is, he's already been conquered. We've, uh, because of who we are, the battle is won. Because of Christ, he will come back to claim that. But uh, it's good to know. We're hearing all these things. It sounds almost like negative. We should know those. Those are warnings. I wouldn't want to tell you something else to make you feel good. Like, there's no such thing as Satan. Just get that out of your mind. But when we know that the victory is won, and even the enemy saw uh, that Christ had ascended, it resurrected, they tried to fool the rest of the world. He's so subtle. He's so strong. Look in Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. It's one of my uh, ones I continually think about. One thing that he does. Look at the power that he has. Verse 3 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. They can't see it. There are people dying and, and perishing and they're, they're blinded. Verse 4, Whose minds, the God of this age, there's another one, another name there, God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, to His image of God, should shine on them. So, in that sense, he blinds those unbelievers. Yes, Barb. Say it again. That's that's light bearer, and we're going to go into that just real quick. We're about right there. That's a good question because that's what it's, it's leading right into. We're right at the door on it. Um, Look at uh, Luke 11, 21 and 22. Here's the strong man fully armed. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This is Jesus speaking here. Um, there, um, some of them said that Jesus was Beelzebub. Uh, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, by him, the ruler of the demons. That's how he's able to do this. And Of course, he talks, starts talking about Satan there and the kingdom being divided and such. And calls like they're uh, in the sense that um, it's a strong man uh, that's fully armed. First um, Peter five eight. He is like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Who's the king of the jungle? King of all the animals? The lion, right? That's how powerful he is. Or in, or in Revelation 12, I think you have the, a dragon spoken of there in verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns. There's a representative there, but it's um, going back again. Who, who's leading all of this? Who, who's in control of all of this? The, the dragon. By the way, in verse 7, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon is angels well, there's spiritual warfare going on. What what do you what do you what do you think? This is a pretty strong individual here, this personhood that uh, is the devil. Uh, there is such darkness. Darkness means ignorance, no light. 
That's the main cause of the trouble. Satan blinds men's eyes, spiritual eyes, so they can see. They're already dead spiritually, but he keeps them from waking up. Of course, unless they've been chosen by God, he will overwhelm him on that, and God will penetrate the darkness for his. But these people don't think about God. They're not thinkers. They can't be unless God wakes them up to that. They don't think about God. So the main cause of the trouble is the darkness. And that's he's a he's a prince of darkness. It's the purpose of the enemy. Yes, Bill. Well, I what chapter in the Old Testament is Satan's fall? Book. Isn't it, is it Ezekiel? Okay, here we go. Oh, Isaiah 14. <laughs> we, two, it's, it, it's, you know, can't hold two, two or more witnesses. We Okay, we've got to go here. <laughs> Let's go. And you know how I remember? And, and from here on out, you'll always remember. You like football, right? No, but go ahead. But, but you understand football yes, scores? I understand. A nice round number is like sevens. Yes. Okay, in this football game, it's 14 and 28. Isaiah comes first, so Isaiah 14... And Ezekiel 28. Now, I did that because I'm a football fan. That's how I said, i got to remember these. So there are certain ways. <laughs> now, my memory, I was just telling on myself, my memory has gotten really bad lately. I'm forgetting everything. I hate to say that. But uh, we know it's true. Maybe you banged your head a few times playing football. But this is good to know. Let's go to the, the fall of the enemy, uh, the beginning of evil here. And... In Isaiah 14, what you have, first of all, it's talking about, uh, directly it's talking about the king of Babylon. But it's going to develop much further than the king of Babylon. Uh, Matter of fact, it's going to go more than he could ever be. It's going to develop into, this is a picture of Satan. He's using an evil ruler to show uh, how he's going to judge and, and using this, and he's going to fall too, this king of Babylon. But he also is going to show that there was one that was that he resembled that was much greater, the fall of Lucifer. But if you pick it up in verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven. And now we're getting into some specifics here. Heaven could be from his high leadership, if you wanted to take that as far as the earthly, kingly realm, but uh, this goes further. He calls him Old Lucifer. There's our Lucifer. That's how we know his name. Before he fell, instead of being known as Satan, he was known as Lucifer. Light bearer. Says that in verse 12. Yeah, what, what does yours say? Okay. Okay. When, um, yeah, that's he's a light bearer, or day star. When you get up of a morning, and all of a sudden, instead of that darkness that you've had, and just before the, I've been told that just before it becomes light, it becomes the darkest. Does that make sense? Before you have that dawn. Uh, he's the day star. He is the light bearer, the son of the morning. Okay, mine says, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, and look at the series of I wills here. This is pride at its height, at its very zenith. This is where pride comes from. I will ascend into heaven. I will 
exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He had such a position in his um, leadership as being this great angel, maybe led worship to God. Uh, in I think in uh, the other passage we get where it, it, it's almost like he is a musical instrument himself where he has them built into it. Somehow he was part of the great worship of God, maybe led it. And that exalted him so much in his own thoughts that he could be like the Most High God. He uses the same lie when he enters into the earth and goes to Eve and says, you can be like God. And so he used that same thought. So then, him being kicked out of heaven is pre-creation? It's definitely pre... (laughs) Pre Pre-fall. Before man. um, I think in Job where you have the morning stars sing together before there was creation. Um, That's that's a good question there too. That we don't know as far as the time setting is concerned, and it gets into um, speculation. And some go as so far, and I don't believe it, but they will. They will say there was a creation that God had already made, and uh, called the gap theory. And as a result of that one, then it was destroyed. And uh, what he did with that, then he had to recreate, and the the creation that we have a man here. But the problem is, is that I see that the first, whenever he talks about um, death, for instance, where did death come from? I can't see any any place where else the first death came from than where, uh, of course, what was given to man because of the curse. And I don't see it before that. Uh, there are some holes to some different things. And then but the first sacrifice was made when he killed the animal to make the skin yeah. cover their sin. As something that's setting up, yeah. you know, law first mention. Sometimes, you know, you, you have some speculations, have to be careful, but I think that's pretty good to go with. That's what I, I would believe. But, um, you know, we're not given a lot uh, on the time period there. We don't, we don't really know. Um, wish I could, but if it know. was Satan that deceived Eve and Adam... Then, then he had to have fallen from heaven before he did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, in Revelation, you get a little picture of that too. Jesus mentioned it too. Um, look, well, look in Job 38, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Uh, here he's talking about creation. Back up in verse 6. The, the context here. Verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? He's talking to Job here, right? To what were its foundations fastened? How's Job going to answer all this? Or who laid its cornerstone? God. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, to me, as he's laying the creation of the earth here, it seems like the angels are there, aren't they? as they are 
shouting and praising God. They're singing together. Now it says morning stars. It says the sons of God. Um, also earlier in Job, you'll see where the sons of God report in chapter one. They report to God. Even you know, so there there is a time whenever they come and uh, like a, an appointment, and they're called morning stars. There, I believe, might be wrong. Yeah, the sons of God. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Now this is during the time of Job here. But there they're known as the sons of God. And the reason I went there is because Job 38 says, All the sons of God shouted for joy. So that takes us back to some, it seems like some, at creation, at, at some time. They were, they were there. Does that help a little bit? That's about as far as I can take it that that I know of. Okay, um, back to Isaiah. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. He's saying he's going to go to the heights that most possible it could be, but yet he'll be brought down, depths of the pit. Um, there's more on that, but anyway, you have a weaving of the king of Babylon, and then definitely here, this is speaking the fall of Lucifer. Let's go to Ezekiel 28. Aha, football score, 14 to 28. And now, this is a, the king of Tyre. This is something... Uh, in a prophecy that God has given to Ezekiel that uh, here's a a warning on you now. Since you think you are so great, king of Tyre, you great leader. It says in verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. Say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Don't you like that in the Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. This means God is speaking. (laughs) How would you like to have a message like that coming across to you if you had gone against Him? You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, an emerald with gold. What do you think of that, Penny? <laughs> he was a be- <laughs> Was he a beautiful creature? Oh yeah. Ooh. Crafted in gold. I mean, what whatever this is, I don't know how symbolic it is. I can tell you he was a beautiful creature that God had made. It says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. That's why some people say the timbrels and the pipes were built into him where he led the music. I, I don't know, but after I came out of secular music and started uh, really reading the Word of God, um, there was a book kind of written on that. It really got my attention. You know, I don't know how. You know, you don't want to read into everything, and and some of this is some symbolism. Uh, but whenever there's symbolism, there's something behind it. There's some kind of truth here. Uh, but so I just believe it. I said, wow, he was a he was an instrument. Although he's an angel, but I mean, he was all built into there, and he didn't have to carry something around like a guitar. You know, <laughs> he just had the pipes and. 
at uh, the temples. Anyway, you were the anointed cherub, the anointed one, who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Well, you've got a destroying here, and obviously he is not destroyed because he's still around. You have an intermingling here with the king of Tyre and um, Lucifer or Satan. Uh, so it, it's kind of interwoven all throughout that chapter, and so it is a little difficult, but there are certain places in here where it could not have been a man, a king. He's perfect uh, in his wisdom, perfect in beauty. He's, uh, he was even without sin. That couldn't have been the, just the king of Tyre, could it? So there is a little bit of the beginning uh, before the, uh, the creation of the world, evidently. Somewhere around that time. What's the purpose of this enemy? Is to to get at us, right? Kind of. Yeah, he wants to do that because we're believers. But his his whole idea is destroy the works of God and to start chaos. And of course, how else better can he get to God than through us? Because he can't get to God. He, he can only have permission to do whatever he does anyway. But if God doesn't want him in his presence, he, is already, he has been kicked out. Uh, man is the main object of the attack. Believers, unbelievers. They're in warfare too, but they don't know about it. They don't know what's going on. We as Christians do know. And that can explain a lot of things. Sometimes you can wonder, what is going on around me? Sometimes it's pretty direct. I haven't had a lot of direct things I can say, well, that was spiritual warfare and Satan was there. Believe me, there, there have been times, but I didn't know it. There were other times I had to wonder, is that what that was? And, you know, where I was just spinning a lot of ways, physically, but I mean... Sort yeah. of wonder after more than we Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, wonder what that was. Yeah, really... Uh, you were in a Bible study where I was fairly young believers on Monday night, and you had a very devious individual that it showed up and he seemed to be quite he kept everybody kind of off kilter dealing with him but he had a spiritualness about him but that was about the time when you developed uh, what was your inner ear thing yeah, it basically got ill because you began to try to deal with him uh, you, you began to challenge him and you, were, you were questioning and calling him what he was about was not what scripture was about and that made him very upset with you yeah, and then tried to get me fired, and there were a whole series of things going. Whether that was just coming from man, or yeah, we don't know. Um, I'll never forget that time period, though. Yeah, yeah, it was all, and it's definitely a demonic, or not a demonic. Well, I guess it really is, but he's in a cult. <laughs> it leads a cult. Yeah, cult, spade a spade. Yeah, oh, but Satan is the leader of all false religions. It was in our Bible study trying to uh, 
get people's names and numbers of who they were so they could one on one talk with them away from the group. So yeah, we can't read contact. We need to contact Turbo, but uh, you finally had to sit there and tell him, watch out for me. He is one that's turned around. He actually teaches at Lincoln, and everybody goes through him. You have to take health if you're going through a class there, and he has been there many years. His name is Dick Dalton. Because yeah. Yeah. I'd tell that to anybody. Yeah, and I've had people come in here several times looking for a wide margin Bible, King James. First thing I ask them is, uh, do you know Dick Dalton? They go, yeah, that's uh, who I'm studying underneath. Okay. Then I'll ask some more questions, and I'll we'll start talking about the deity of Christ. And uh, some people, uh, it's worked, and on the others, uh, they just scooted out here real quick. But. You wonder. Um, well, and the, the, the other part, though, is that we also just kind of dance around, you know, issues all the time, and just and just when when you but when you see believers that are doing something that is, you know, against Scripture. You know, I mean, it's either rebellion in their own heart or it's demonic. There's yeah. no, there's no other way to put it. But we want to, but but it's real difficult to to do that in in love because as soon as you say the word demonic, everybody gets real defensive. It's just, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know. But, yeah. I mean, because you know, I mean, even going through that study that you posted on Facebook today about about speaking in tongues, in, in addition to your study that that you had at at your church, you know, I mean, this. what happens is is that, you know, you, if you start engaging in those kinds of conversations with people about tongues, you know, and they try to explain, you know, because John MacArthur says that it's demonic, doesn't necessarily mean that it's demonic, but I trust the teaching of John MacArthur than I, more than I do just a congregant in a Pentecostal church. But the thing is, if you say something like that to a congregant from a Pentecostal church, you're like mean and hateful and spiteful and, and, and you're a jerk. Well, John you MacArthur know. is a little stronger than a lot of us. You, the, you yeah. can't even disagree with them about tongues. You don't have to call it demonic. You can't even... Yeah, that, yeah that would be a good way of putting it. It's just true. Any, yeah. any disagreement, yeah. and they get very defensive. Yeah. Which is... Which is it makes Typical, it impossible it, it, to talk it, to them. Yeah, it's, and that defensiveness is a is a is a very interesting reaction. The the spiritual realm is is that's how powerful it is, even over Christians. And so yes, it uh, it uh, does make an impact hugely. That's of course you look at this, you, you see the purpose of the enemy, and if he can't destroy. An individual, if he can't keep one blinded and they become believers, then what does he want to do? He wants to still wreak havoc on them. He uh, he wants to make them think they've lost their salvation. Uh, doubt, deception, a lot of those things we're going to be covering as we go through here. We 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 know these kind of things. It's nothing uh, unusual to us, but yet it is something that we uh, take on every day. A lot of times we just forget about it, and uh, it's it's a constant thing. He's a slanderer. He's an adversary. He's a, a tempter. He makes war with the saints. He's a liar. He has a kingdom. And he is in darkness. So, anyway, this is just uh, the introduction of kind of what we uh, wanted to hit at. Um, the angels fall and then, of course, 
you have the fall of man uh, as a result of that. And it did so much damage to the fall of man, he never had the free will that he had before. And uh, because of that, we see what Ephesians 2 says is that he's dead spiritually. Well, guess who caused that? And you see the enemy there right there in chapter 2. Man is a slave of the devil, and he doesn't even know it. So that's how they, they look at the, the devil. They're not going to know until they be, really become Christians. They, they, they can't. They can, people have heard of the devil, and what do they think of when they think of the devil? You know, have their own little images. Quite, quite a thing. Uh, we are one with Christ, though. We have our lives planted in Him. His power is our power. And it's only in Christ that we're strong. As it says here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Uh, we're strong because Christ is strong. And that is the only way that we can ever take on the enemy. His strength is so much superior. <laughs> there is no contest. And so it's not where God is just a little bit stronger than the devil and he's going to win, but boy, he, you know, he's, he, he's having a hard time. And I think the church, uh, through many years, kind of taught that, or people have believed that. I don't know if they've taught it, maybe people believe it, that Satan is almost as strong as God. Until I read an Erwin Lutzer book uh, dealing with that issue, I kind of bought that idea too. I knew I'd win, and I knew God wins, but man, he's having a hard struggle, you know. <laughs> and uh, God is much bigger than that. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Well, maybe that will help us as we uh, go through the rest of this text, just taking our time and looking at our daily life. This is our walk. This is real. <laughs> That's what happened in chapter 4, 5, and 6. We'll be done by... 2012 with Ephesians? Uh, what? Are you thinking Are you thinking 2012 is no, going to... Well, no. <laughs> no, no, I mean, because the question I have, and 